Well, thank you, Matt and Ashley, man. It's good to see you today. Second service, Paul and church, man. Welcome to those of you on our live stream. How about we just take a moment and give the Lord a little hand clap offering, man. Just an opportunity to gather today and have church together in here. Appreciate you guys being here today, man. You never know what's going to happen on a day like today, man. It might just be me and my wife, but no, look, man, we've got a whole church of people showing up today, and all is good in the world, right, because the Cowboys won last night, all right? <laughs> kind of like a little bit of an unsatisfactory win, but I'll take a win, right? So, uh, man, we'll take it all the way. And for all my Longhorns fans out there, I'm supporting you today with my burnt orange. So let's go bring home the national championship, man. You know, as long as you're not playing the Sooners, I'll root for you. So hopefully it'll, it'll be good, man. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. Today is New Year's Eve, man. Today is the last day. This is crazy, isn't it? Today's the last day of 2023. Today's the last day. It'll be a new year. Tomorrow, new year, fresh start. And the one thing about 2023, there's nothing you can do to change what happened to you in 2023. You cannot change your past, man. You cannot change your past, but with God's help, you can change your future, right? You can't change your past, but with God's help, you can change your future. And God has a bright future for you. So I want to talk a little bit about change this morning as we move into 2024. I want to do it from a passage Exodus chapter 17, Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 17, Genesis, Exodus. There's always more going on in the Old Testament than you think. And I believe God wants to speak to us uh, through this particular passage of Scripture today. It's, it, the context is the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness, and they get to a place, and they get attacked by an enemy, and the enemy's always out to get us, and uh, hopefully we can learn a little bit from it today. So this is Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to begin in verse 8. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men from us and go fight against Amalek, for tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Verse 10, Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held out his hand, Israel prevailed, but whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down, verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and write, recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi or Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He said, indeed, my hand is lifted up towards the Lord's throne, the Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Here is the nation of Israel. They come out of Egypt, cross through the Red Sea. Like I said, they get to this oasis, Rephidim, and while they're there, Amalek came out and fought against Israel. And in response to that, Moses did a couple of things. And, and this, this group, Amalek, it could have been like maybe the first terrorist in the Bible, because when they came out and fought against Israel, they didn't, they didn't attack them head on and arm away. They, they literally snuck around and attacked them from the rear. And when Moses records this event for us in Deuteronomy 25, 17, he says, remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. 
They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind. When they were tired and weary, they did not fear God. Here's the nation of Israel. They estimate there were maybe 2 million people that Moses led out of Egypt across the wilderness. And can you just imagine what it must have been like with 2 million people and all their flocks and all their gear? It'd be kind of like if you went on the, the you know, uh, camping trip and you invited too many of your closest friends to go with you and you had to load up one day and take everything you had and move to another location. Man, how much that would take. How strung out you would possibly be to get too many people from one location to another, and the Amalekites came along, and they would attack them from the rear. They would get the ones that were straggling or the ones that were weak, and they would come along and sneak up from behind and attack them, and they were doing this on a constant basis. So finally, it got to the point where Moses says, man, we got to do something about this, man. Something needs to change. We got to do something about it. So the very first thing that, that he did is he realized he had to fight, so he sent Joshua. He said in verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, select some men from us and go and fight against Amalek. So Joshua, we know Joshua was Moses' aide. His, his name was Hoshea originally, which means salvation, but Moses changed his name to Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Joshua in Hebrew is the Greek equivalent of Jesus, all right? And Joshua was the one that was going to lead them into the promised land. He says, I want you to be my commander on the battlefield, Joshua. I want you to get some men. And I want you to go fight against them. This is significant because it's the first people that the nation of Israel attacked. If you think about it, the whole time they were in Egypt, never once did God ask them to attack the nation of Israel. I mean, of Egypt. They didn't, they didn't go to war against Egypt. But here they go against these people. Now, why is that? And, and the reason is because when God delivered them from Egypt, it was a picture of our salvation. And salvation is something that God does for us and gives to us as a gift. There's nothing we can do to accomplish our salvation. There's nothing we can do to, to earn it. No, God does it himself, and then he gives it to us of a gift. The way we get our salvation is we accept it. We surrender under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So never do we see Israel attacking Egypt, but now when they're outside of the promised land, right, they, they come against the enemy and God calls them to attack. Why? Because although our salvation is free, man, this Christian life is going to be a battle. Living for Jesus is a battle, right? That's why Paul at the end of his own life says, I fought the good fight. So says in Ephesians 6, 12, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. God called them to fight, all right? We're in a battle as well. So the first thing he called them to do, said, man, put together some people. We got to attack them. The second thing they did was Moses went up on top of a hill. And you say, well, why did Moses do that? And we know he wanted to get up there to get some perspective. When you get up on a way and you get up on top of a hill, you can look down, you can see what's going on. You can see where the enemy's at, how many of the enemy they are, where they've got their forces. You can see where your people are. You can see what needs to change if you're going to build, if you're going to win the battle. And I just want to say, as we get ready to go into 2024, some of you need to do the same thing. You need to kind of draw away and get some perspective on your life and just look at your life and see where you're at spiritually. What is it in my life that that maybe needs to change? Is there anything that I'm doing that's keeping me from following Jesus like he'd want me to do? Any habits that I have or, or things that I do that, that I do this over and over and really it's not helping me in my walk with Jesus. It's actually taking me away. 
Or is there anything in your life that you need to do that would help you fall in love with Jesus more? Is there any way you can, you know, figure out a way so you can come to learn scripture better or, or be a better at prayer or, or how can I get my family more involved in church or where can I serve? What can I do to, man, just make my walk with Jesus better? Where, how am I doing spiritually, right? Just to get away and give us some perspective. Now, over this Christmas break, we've had our whole family in and, and while we were over Christmas break, we put together a puzzle, all right? A thousand piece puzzle. So I'm going to take a little poll in here right now. How many people out there, how many of you have ever, let me see your, how many people have ever put together a puzzle? Let me see your hands out there. All right, now let me see how many of you say, I've never put together a puzzle. I don't plan to every time, anytime soon. All right, a couple of you. I, I was kind of in that former group, you know, I was like, man, I've never done a puzzle and that sounds like torture to me. But a couple of years ago, uh, we put together some puzzles and we, and we put together a puzzle, dude, over Christmas, a thousand pieces, which if you've never put together a puzzle, might not sound like a lot. I'm just here to tell you, man, it took me like an hour just to turn all the pieces over so I know what color they were, all right? I was like, there is no way this puzzle is ever going to happen. Like I worked like three hours just on the border, which is the easiest part, right? Because it's all flat around the edge. And we never would have got together except we had like 10 people work on it for three days straight and they were much smarter than me, all right? And uh, they actually got that thing put together. There's something weirdly satisfying about a puzzle. Right, like you look for five hours for one piece and you finally find it. You're like, oh, I found this one piece. I'm motivated to put another three hours into it now to find another piece. That's kind of how it feels when you do it. And, and sometimes you put together a piece of puzzle and you've got like one whole section because it's all the same color and you work on it for like uh, your lifetime and you get it all done and then except for one piece. You're like, oh, one more piece, I have this whole section. And I know it's this color, it's this shape, surely I can find this one piece. And then you endlessly search for it, never to find it. And you finally assume they must have not put it in the box. <laughs> it fell on the, some grandkid ate it, it's gone, we'll never, it's just have to leave that one out. And so you finally go do something else with your life that's productive for a couple of hours. And then you come back and all at once, you know, you just, you look down and there's the piece laying right there the whole time. You're like, oh, there it is. It's because you see it with a different perspective, right? Well, this is the way life is sometimes. We get so busy in our life. We're doing and doing and doing and doing. Sometimes, man, you need to just back away and get a new perspective. How are you doing spiritually, man? And how do you do in 2023 spiritually? What's going on in your life spiritually? This is Moses. He got completely away up on this hilltop with Aaron and Ur, and he got a different perspective. And then while he was up there, he said, I'm going to go up on top of a hill. And this is verse 9. He says, select some men and go to fight against Ammon. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. So in other words, he went up on top of this hill, hilltop. And he stretched out his hands towards heaven. In one hand, he had the staff or the rod of God, and he stretched out his hands toward heaven. And it was just a way of him saying, God, we're looking to you for your help. Now, we're looking for you to help us when you enable us to win this battle, God. We're stretching out our hands towards God. Now, this is not an unprecedented thing. All these times when Moses was in Egypt during the plagues, this is what God would tell Moses to do during most of all the plagues. For instance, he, he says in in uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 22, 
the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven and let there be hail throughout the land of Egypt. Exodus 9, 23. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail. So God would say, stretch out your hand and I'm going to do this certain thing. He said in Exodus 10, 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt and the locusts will come up over and eat every plant in the land. He stretched out his hand and God would do what God said he was going to do. When they got on the Red Sea and they got trapped with the Red Sea on one side and the, you know, the Egyptian army was coming against them on the other side. It says in, in Exodus 14, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Do something, man. Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And the question is, would you have done that? You're like, divide the Red Sea, right? But Moses stretched out his hand and his staff, and when he did it, the, the Red Sea divided right? It says in the scripture in, in, in uh, Job eleven thirteen. as for you, if you redirect, redirect your heart and spread out your hands to him in prayer, he'll hear you. It says in 1 Timothy 2, 8, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. It was Moses going up on top of the hill and saying, now I'm going to go up on top of the hill and I'm going to ask God to help us to win this battle. And I want you to think about this. When Moses was up on top of that hill, not only could Moses see the people, but the people could see him. And they knew what it meant when Moses stretched out his hand. They knew what it meant when he was asking God to help them. They'd seen God do miracles in the past. And so that had to inspire them to live there, to fight differently, knowing that God was on their side because of what they saw in the Moses. And I just want to say, man, for all the men in the room, for all the moms and dads and parents in the room, people that work, Man, it's the same way with you. If you make a decision to live for Jesus Christ, and you know what? Your kids will see that. Your spouse will see that. Your family will see that. Like when I, when I first got, gave my life to Christ and I started really trying to live for Jesus, I, I, had a, I worked in a bank. I worked for the Federal Land Bank. And many, I'm sure it's probably similar to many of you. You work in a place. You've got a lot of people that are believers, non-believers, you know, secular workplace. And, uh, man, I just decided I was going to start living for Jesus, man. When I did, made that decision, it started to change. I mean, it, started, it changed the way I talked. And it started to change the way I treated other people. And it began to change how I, my work ethic, you know. I was really trying, and, and I never thought anything about it. So I had a guy come up to me one day and said, man, what's going on with you? And you're, you're acting different. When people see it. When you start living, you want to make a difference in your family, man. Just make a decision to start living for God, reaching your hand up to heaven, putting your eyes upon God, and living for them. And this is Moses. He goes up on top of this mountain, and he, and he reaches out his hand. And what happens? It says, Moses, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up top of the mountain. Verse 11, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, but when he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When he put his hand towards heaven, man, Israel was winning the battle. But over time, he got tired, and when he dropped his hand because he was tired, all at once, Amalek began to prevail. And so he's like, oh, man. So he'd lift his hand up again, and then Israel began to prevail, and he'd get tired because he couldn't do it anymore. He'd lower his hand, and Amalek began. And they began to notice this. So it says in verse 11, when his hands grew heavy, Aaron and Hur took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it, 
and then Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and, and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. In other words, it was a physical battle. They were down there doing it, but it hinged on what focus Moses had. As long as he had his hands up, they were winning. And when he put his hands down, they were losing. So the two guys with him put a stone for him to set on and held, literally held up his hands during the day. And it gave Israel the ability to win the battle. And so that night, Moses, the next day, Moses builds an altar and says, the Lord is my banner. Now, now Moses, God wanted to teach Moses something that day. And he wants to teach Moses, he wants to teach you the same thing today. And here's what he taught Moses, if you think about it, that the victory belonged to the Lord. That the victory actually belonged to the Lord. You would think that the battle would go to the people with the most most people or the best armor or the most training or the best generals. But in reality, it belonged to the Lord. Whenever Moses lifted his hand, God caused the Israelites to win. When he put his down his hand, God caused the Israelites to lose. The battle actually belonged to the Lord. And the second thing Moses learned that day, he could not do it alone. Moses learned, I can't do it alone. I can't wheel back. At some point, he got so tired, he couldn't hold his hands up anymore. He knew that if he put his hands down, the enemy was going to win. He couldn't do it alone. And Aaron and her came along. They put a rock. He sat on that rock. And they held his hands up. And because of that, they won the battle. He, he learned that the, the battle actually belongs to the Lord. He, he couldn't do it alone. And he realized that it was actually a spiritual battle, that what he focused on mattered. When he focused on the Lord and put his hands up, the battle was won. And when he dropped his hands down, they were going to lose. And because that has such an impact on Moses, the next day he built an altar where he could worship. And he said, the Lord is my banner. The Lord Yahweh, Jehovah is my banner. Now a banner, you know, is like a, a long flag. Sometimes it's called a standard. It comes from the word stand, meaning this is where we take our stand. They would put a banner up that would, that would be where the, the, say, the commander of the army was. This is where we're going to take our stand, right here around our commander. So a banner would be where the commander of the battle was or where the protector of peace was, or, or they would put banners up over the 12 tribes of Israel when they would camp. And the thing was when the banner moved, everybody in that tribe was supposed to move. So your movement, how, where you went, you followed a banner. A banner represents your position, who you follow, what you believe. It's your banner. He says, the Lord is my banner. I lift my hand up to the God in heaven. Now, here's the question for you today. What banner do you follow? Because everybody in here is following a banner. There's something that you look to for your significance, something that you look to for your satisfaction, something that you look to that's going to give you purpose in life. Right? It can be a number of different things. It might be your work. It might be your success. It might be your money. It might be your social media likes. It might be your girlfriends. It might be drugs. It might be sex. It might be alcohol. It might be a hobby. It might be comfort. It might be pleasure. Everybody's looking to something. Everybody's got a banner that they follow that gives them some kind of significance. All right? And the question is, what kind of banner are you following? Now, Jesus talked about that himself. And there's a passage of scripture, and this is found in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 6. I 
referenced this the other day, but Jesus is referring to it as possessions. And he makes this statement. This is in 619. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then he makes a statement that initially doesn't seem to fit in. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, he says, all of us have something that we treasure something that we look to to give us satisfaction, something that we like. And wherever our treasure is, wherever our heart is, wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is. That's what you want. That's what you're looking for. And whatever, wherever your heart is, that's what you focus on. That's where your eye goes. That's what you're trying to get more of. And over time, whatever you focus on becomes your master. It starts off as a treasure but over time, it becomes your master. And we see this clearly, say, with drugs. You come into some drugs and you're like, dude, I really like this. This is a treasure to me. And that becomes the focus of your life until at some point it becomes, instead of being your treasure, it becomes your master. And you have to have it every day. But that works for anything. Success, money, sex, drugs, alcohol, popularity, sports, comfort, pleasure. It starts off as a treasure. That's where your focus is. It becomes your master. And if it's anything besides God, it's a terrible master because it always promises and never delivers. And it becomes an idol. And Moses is just proclaiming, man, my banner, the Lord is my banner. That's where I look. That's where I go. My hand is lifted up towards heaven. Right? So Moses recognizes that in reality, it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. The real battle is spiritual. Where are you focusing? What's your, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you looking for? And, and, you know, and we have to realize that it's, just, it's the same way with us, man, that what we focus on spiritually actually determines a physical in, my, in our life. So when you look at this passage of scripture, God's trying to say something to a spiritual. That the whole nation of Israel, we know this, is really a type or a picture of our own salvation. That just like the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt, God heard their, heard their cry, so he sent them a deliverer named Moses. Moses came down and judged Egypt through these ten plagues. The last plague was the angel of death. The angel of death is going to come through and kill every firstborn son. But there's a way out. If you'll take a lamb and kill it and take the blood, put it over your doorpost, that when the angel of death comes through tonight, he will pass over you and you'll be spared, right? And that's what happened. Angel of death came through. If you had faith to put the blood over your doorpost, it passed over you. Firstborn sons of Egypt were killed. They're like, you guys got to go. They kicked Israel out of Egypt. They get trapped by the Red Sea. They went through the water, like reborn on the other side, killed all the Egyptians. They go into the wilderness, right? Therefore, the promised land is not necessarily heaven, but it's the victorious life that we can have in Christ. In the same way you were born into sin. You're a slave to it. You can't overcome it. it. It's your nature. It just controls you. But God sent you a deliverer, Jesus. And what's Jesus? Jesus is God's firstborn son. 
He lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty of death for you, the firstborn son being killed, so that death might pass over you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then you go out and pass through the waters of baptism, just like they went through the Red Sea, on the way to the promised land, which is not just heaven, but it's the victorious life you can actually have on this earth. The problem is to get there, bro, you got to go through a battle. Because you've got a real enemy that wants to take you out. And whenever he, he wants to sneak up on you and take you out when you're not looking, he wants to come behind you and take you out. You've got to be on your guard. You've got to recognize it's a battle. So we look at who was it that attacked the nation of Israel. It was the Amalekites. Amalekites. I don't think I said that quite right. Amalekites. And here's the thing, dude. They were descendants of Esau. And every time you see this guy named Esau in the Bible, it's a reference to the flesh, your old flesh. Esau. Esau had a brother. His name was Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, but Rebekah couldn't have any kids. So he prayed for her, and she becomes pregnant. She doesn't know it, but she's got twins. No ultrasound back in the day. She gets up one day, and she's like, they're having a fist fight in her stomach. One's punching the other and kicking her in the process. And she's like, what is going on inside of me? These people inside of me are so crazy. She asked the Lord, and the Lord speaks to her about it. Here's what the Lord said, Genesis 25. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And the older will serve the younger. This is completely different than the way society works because in those days, the firstborn son took over for the family, got a double inheritance. He became the leader. And yet God said before they were ever even born that the older were actually serve the younger. In this case, she gave birth one day to those twins. The first one came out. He was red and hairy all over. So they named him Esau. You know what Esau means? Red and hairy. And when Esau came out, the second twin had a hold of his heel like this when it was born. And so they called him Jacob, which means he who grasped the heel. Had a little trouble coming up with names back in the day. But that name, he who grasped the heel, also could mean like, you know, someone that comes up behind you and trips you up. And it's a deceiver. Jacob's name one day was going to go on to be changed to Israel, right? Jacob. Here's Jacob, man. He's kind of sneaky, but Esau, Esau didn't care anything about God, right? Because he's a type of the flesh. He was a big hunter. He liked to go outside and do things. He was Isaac's favorite son, and Jacob was uh, Rebekah's favorite son, and he would stay home, and one day, he was in there cooking and uh, cooking up some beans and Esau had been out hunting all day and Esau comes in and Esau says, give me a bowl of those beans, dude, I'm about to starve to death. And Jacob says, because he's always kind of sneaky like this, he says, man, I'll, I'll give you a bowl of beans for your birthright. Birthright's priceless. Why? Because, because God had promised to bless all nations through Abraham and that had been passed down to Isaac and Isaac's going to pass it down to somebody, one of those two. And Esau says, he says, man, look, I'm about to starve. What good's my birthright going to do if I starve to death? You can have it. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. 
says in Scripture that he despised his birthright. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way, make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. He's a picture of the flesh. All he cared about was the physical. All he cared about was what was going on in the flesh. He's a picture of the flesh. And the flesh, which is what we're all born with, it's our firstborn flesh. But when we're born again by Jesus, we're born again by the Spirit. So our younger one is the Spirit. And the Spirit and the flesh are always in conflict with one another. Scripture tells us, Paul says in 5.16, I say, therefore, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. You have the flesh, your old nature. It just wants what it wants. It wants to do what it wants. And the Spirit says you should live this way. They're constantly in conflict with one another. And as a believer, as you're going through life, the flesh has a tendency to sneak up behind you and attack you when you're not looking. Because you have an enemy that wants to take you out and take you down, and it's the flesh. And how do you respond when that happens to you, bro? you got to go to battle. you got to take it on. You have to recognize that the flesh is trying to take you out, and you got to fight it in the spirit. How do you, what happens? You draw near to Jesus, and you go to battle, right? And you gotta, you got to crucify it. you got to take it out. You can't compromise with it. When Saul became the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel was Saul. The very first thing God told him to do was, 1 Samuel chapter 15, go to battle against the Amalekites and wipe them out. You got to take them out, man. Don't leave one of them left. Kill all the animals. Kill all the people. They're under the ban. They have to go, man. You can't compromise with the flesh. They have to go, and Saul didn't do it. He killed everybody. He won the battle, but what did Saul do? He left King Agag alive. And for that, he lost his entire kingdom because he compromised, because you can't compromise because the sin or flesh in your life is like a, it's like a fire. We talk about this. It's like you don't open up the, underneath the sink to throw something in a trash can. There is a fire in there. You don't go, well, it's kind of small. I'm sure it won't hurt anything. Close the door. That's the way it is with the flesh. You compromise, and we want to compromise. We want to compromise. We want it both ways. We want what the Spirit wants, but I also really like what the world has to offer too. And we have turmoil and chaos. And God's saying, man, the better way is to press in on the Spirit. Press in on the Spirit. you got to go to war. you got to go to war. And the second thing God says to you this morning is this. You cannot do it by yourself. You know what it takes? That's the reason God had created the church. Because you can't do it by yourself. And so the church, man, we got to come together. Support one another. Encourage one another. Help one another. Because you can't do it by yourself. Moses couldn't do it by himself. He had to have somebody come along and raise his hands. He had to have somebody on the commander of the field. You can't do it yourself. Man, church is critical. Bible study is critical. Small groups are critical. You try to run it yourself. Man, I've been going to church my whole life. I don't really need church. You need church. You need other people. You need other believers. We all need other believers. You cannot do it. You cannot do it on your own, on your own because it's actually a spiritual battle. But when you put your focus on Jesus, right, the Lord is my banner. I lift my hand.
to heaven and put all my focus on that, God has a way of taking care of the rest. So what did, what did Moses do? He sent Joshua to fight his battle for us. Who did God send to fight your battles for you? He sent Jesus for you. Jesus came in the flesh, crucified, died in the flesh to conquer and overcome the flesh, born again by the Spirit, raised to, raised to newness of life. When you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit is given to you, and the Spirit, therefore, has power over your flesh when you press in on it and yield it to it. God gives you the victory. Man, in 2024, the Lord is my banner. Make that your goal. Make that your focus. The Lord is my banner. And God will lead you forward, man. He'll change your life. Amen. I want to pray for you, man. Maybe you're here today and uh, you never given your life to Christ. Man, you should, you should do it and start 2024 in a brand new, brand new sheet, man. You should do it. I want to pray for you. We're going to do this last song. And I know, man, you got to say, I want to get out of here and Look, ain't nobody eating lunch today anyway. We got time to sing this last song. I want it to just kind of be like a, just a banner, man. Your banner. The Lord is your banner. King Jesus is your banner. Your goal of 2024 is that he would be your banner. You would look to him. You would move where he moves. You would go where he goes. That he would fight your battle for you. That as long as you got your eyes on him, you're going to win because a battle belongs to the Lord. You're going to be a blessing to other people. We're going to lift him up. God's going to do great things through Jesus, man, when you put your eyes upon him. So if you would, you bow with me in prayer. Father, I pray for the people in the room today. God, I pray that you take your word and you speak to their heart. And God, even now, right where they're at, maybe all the believers in the room, just commit, man, the Lord is my banner. I want to lift up my banner where people can see it, man. I want to live for Jesus, trust the results to him. And maybe there's some people in here that have never given their life to Christ that today, man, they could step over that line and say, today, man, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. I can't accomplish it. I can't be good enough. I can't do anything to obtain it. You've already given it to me, Jesus. Today, I accept it. I turn from my sin and make Jesus my Lord. The Lord becomes my banner. I lift it up and live it in my life, Father. I pray that that could be the, the words on everybody's heart in this room as they walk out today. The Lord is my banner. I lift my hand up towards heaven. And trust the results to him. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close out this one last song? We'll sing it. We'll be dismissed after this.